0: In church family, I got myself a new toy. <laughs> There's a story here that's really special to me. Uh, we have in our children's ministry, a new ministry called Kids Cam, Kids Creative Arts Ministry, in which kids learn uh, arts and crafts. They learn how to sing songs to the Lord. They do puppets and make food together. Well, there is a woodworking track. And a couple weeks ago at their big presentation, they gave to me this pulpit. The kids had been working uh, with volunteer leaders uh, for over a month at making this, and they made me a pulpit. And I thought, man, how special is this? So I'm just tickled pink that they would offer this to me. That night when I got in the van, we're headed home as a family, my son in the back of the van just said, dad... Our church loves you so much. And I I'm just so grateful. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John 13:35, "By this they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another." And I'm so thankful that together as a faith family, we love one another. It's a mark of health in our faith family is the love that we have for one another. And this past week, Christy and I, we were in Kentucky spending time with family and and, and seeing them and seeing friends. But there was this this longing in my heart to get back, to come home, to be with us as a faith family. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has given us that within our faith family, just this love for one another. Um, and speaking of Kentucky, it was there on, March, excuse me, on February the 25th of 2004 that I was teaching the student ministry as a student pastor, and I was teaching on Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and I invited my girlfriend to come up on the stage, and I began washing her feet, and I pulled out a wedding ring, and I said, Jesus is number one in your life, and I want to be number two will you marry me? And I did it with a large crowd watching to force her to say yes. <laughs> Peer pressure can be a very good thing, by the way. Okay. Thankfully, she, she said yes. So we set the date for six months later, August the 14th, 2004. And there was just this time in between where there was both this anticipation and frustration. Because I wanted so badly for that day to hurry up, so I could marry my best friend, and it's, it just every night I would drop her off at her apartment and have to drive all away, all the way across town to the house where I was staying, and I was so tired of having to go home and not be with with her forever. And so I thought, oh, with that day, hurry up and come. You see, that anticipation, that longing is a picture of what you and I are experiencing right now as believers. We are in this anticipation of a great wedding that is coming. A day in which the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be wed with him forever. That is what John is teaching us in Revelation chapter 19. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Revelation 19. We're finishing up a sermon series as a faith family called Divine Design. We've been walking through what marriage looks like in the scriptures and how it points to the gospel and how you and I can live out the gospel in our marriage relationships. We saw back in Genesis chapter two where God designed marriage between one man and one woman for life. We saw in Hosea chapter three, God's faithful love for his unfaithful bride. We saw in 2 Timothy chapter one, in um, in a one-sided marriage. We saw where Timothy's mother and grandmother influenced him for the gospel. But Acts 16, one, his father was an unbelieving Gentile. And so a one-sided marriage of investing in their son and grandson, pouring the gospel into him so that he might trust in Jesus. We saw last time in Ephesians chapter five of different roles within the marriage relationship. When a husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, he is saying to her, you first. When a wife submits to her husband, she is saying, you first. Together, God is calling both of them to look to Jesus and say unto him, you first. Well, when you get to the book of Revelation, the apostle John is exiled on the island of Patmos. While he is there, Jesus pulls back the curtain on the future. He reveals what the end of the world is going to look like, where Jesus will return in his glory, and he will set up his new kingdom in which he will judge, and he will rule the world, and he will live amongst his people. In Revelation 19, it begins with a celebration in heaven. Why? Because God has destroyed Babylon. Babylon is the worldly kingdom of the Antichrist that has set herself up against Jesus and his people. In verse one, a large number in heaven shout hallelujah because God has judged Babylon. Verse three, there is a second hallelujah. It's because Babylon has been thrown into the lake of fire. Then verse four, there is a third shout of hallelujah by the 24 elders and the four living creatures who bow down and worship God. Then John tells us about a fourth hallelujah. Look with me at Revelation 19, beginning with verse six. Scripture says, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God Are true. You see, the great and final wedding is coming. The venue is set, the food prepared, and Jesus the groom will whisk his bride, the church, away to be with him forever. Question we're going to answer this morning is, what will happen at the wedding? Well, look with me first in the text. I want you to see that number one, the church will rally. The church will rally. Look with me at verse six. John writes, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude. This vast multitude includes all of the redeemed throughout the ages. The church of Jesus Christ will rally together. We will gather. We will celebrate. And John says, verse 6, It's like the voice of a vast multitude. The number is too great to count. John uses this phrase, vast multitude, back in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, in which he says, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, in which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, the future assembly will be made up of a mass of brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We'll be gathered together, united around our groom, King Jesus. The church, which is the bride of Christ, is made up of people of every skin color, ethnicity, and language. This is a sea of people. Made up of different backgrounds and subcultures, diverse ethnicities and traditions, various incomes and backgrounds. And we'll be united together as one under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who bought us with his precious blood. Will rally together as the bride of Christ marries her groom. Well, in light of this reality, may I say to you, the gathering with God's people every week matters. You see, gathering with the local church now. Is preparing us to gather with the global church later. It matters that we gather every week because this is an appetizer, it's a foretaste of what is coming. There's coming a day in which the church will unite together, a vast multitude, a large number so great that no one can count and we'll be gathered together to make much of Christ. And church mass say to you, we as a church must continually strive to make our congregation look like the future congregation. Multiple ethnicities, different skin colors and hues. Why? Because that's what's coming in the new kingdom. A beautiful picture of the gospel coming from different backgrounds and contexts and personalities and perspectives. And what unites us together is the gospel. In a city that used to be called Bombingham because of racial division, the church must be leading out in front saying, this is what racial reconciliation looks like. And it looks like Revelation chapter 19 the ingathering of all people who have put their faith in Jesus throughout the ages. The church will rally. I want you to see secondly in the text is that the church will roar our worship. We will roar our worship. Verse six, John said, it's like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. John hears such a loud noise, it's as if he lacks the adjectives to describe it. So three times in verse 6, he uses the word like. In fact, 50 times in the book of Revelation, John uses the adverb like to try to describe something. It's as if he's searching for something to compare what he sees and hears to his readers of this book, verse 6, he hears something so loud that he compares it to the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound is deafening. Church, we are going to worship with volume. You see, the reverberation of Niagara Falls pales in comparison to the holy roar of the church of Jesus Christ we will make on that great day. Take the loudest sports stadium you have ever been in and multiply it times the kingdom of God. That's what's coming in verse six. A holy roar in which we will sing and shout and we will declare the victory of God. This past week, Christy had the opportunity to go to a professional soccer game. Tens of thousands of people. And there were moments in the game where the crowd made such a loud noise, there was a vibration in my chest. This is a foretaste of what's happening here. A, a large number, too great to count, gathered together, roaring our worship. Well, what are we declaring? Verse six, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Now, hallelujah, it means praise, praise. Yah, short for Yahweh, it's Lord, praise the Lord. Why? Verse six, the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. The Lord God, the Almighty is the one who is sovereign over all things. He is in control over all things. He is one who is reigning on his throne. Now for a season, he has permitted evil men and demons to do their worst, but now their time is up. In Revelation 19, Babylon, the great city, has fallen. The rule of pagan kings is over. God's righteous and just judgment has fallen, and it's time for justice. Satan's reign is coming to a close, and our call upon Jesus, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will become a reality. We will roar our worship. We will sound like cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder, and we will declare hallelujah, because our Lord, the God Almighty, he reigns. What a beautiful foretaste of what's coming when we gather together and we roar our worship to King Jesus. But may I say to you, we don't long for this day if we find our comfort in this world. The danger of the health and wealth gospel is that it makes us try to find our comfort here and now. And if you find yourself being content with where you are now, there is little longing for what is to come. In fact, within the context of Revelation, the people of God are suffering. Many are having their blood shed for following Jesus and claiming Jesus is Lord and not the Antichrist. There's a sense in which suffering is the mark of following Jesus. And so as followers of Christ, don't let yourself get too comfortable in this world. We are passing through. Peter calls us sojourners. We are marching through to a greater kingdom that is to come. And when that kingdom comes, we're going to gather with Christ and we're going to roar our worship. I want you to see thirdly that the church will rejoice. The church will rejoice. Look at verse 7. We will declare, let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come. We will be glad and full of joy. We will give Jesus the glory. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Lamb is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Passover Lamb who was slain for the iniquity of the world. Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb who brought full atonement for sin. There's coming a day in which we will gather with him and he will wed his people. For now, we have been betrothed, but there's coming a day in which wedding bells will ring. The crowd will gather. There is rejoicing and celebrating because the lamb who gladly and willingly laid down his life for us will make us his forever. One of the most exhilarating moments of my life was when I stood at the front on my wedding day. I remember standing there with great joy in my heart. My dad next to me is my best man and looking down the aisle and seeing the most beautiful woman in the entire world walk down the aisle towards me. And tears were streaming down my face with joy. I got to marry my best friend. And that moment was so significant. It's just permanently like etched in my heart. And I can see it as if it was happening right now. You see, as a pastor, there are times in which we get to see things at weddings that other people don't get to see. One of my favorite parts are the minutes before the groom walks out. Usually we're standing off in the wings in a hallway or in a room. The groom and the groomsmen are lined up and then it hits the groom. I'm about to get married. Nerves set in, he starts stretching, (laughs) rubbing his sweaty hands on his pants, making small talk and trying to be funny, because all of a sudden it hits him. I'm about to get married. Now the bride's been preparing for years. But it it hits him right there. I relish that, honestly. I sit back and I watch. Like, this is awesome. (laughs) I want to see you suffer, man. This is great, right? And then we march out and we stand. And his hands are trembling. And he's swaying back and forth. And then he sees his bride. And he weeps with joy. Because now he finally gets to marry his best friend. That's what's coming for us. We will rejoice and we'll be glad because on that great day, we will be married to the one whom, Song of Solomon chapter three, verse four, the one in whom my soul loves we will marry King Jesus and we will be with him forever. We will covenant with him and we will be married to him forever. There's coming a day in which we will rejoice and be glad. If you are in a season of darkness right now, if you are hurting and you are experiencing despair, if depression seems like it will never lift, if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, look to Jesus. There's coming a day in which your joy will be full. You will suffer no more and you will rejoice and you will be glad. It's a promise that God has made to you that one day you're gonna see Jesus and death is no more, suffering is no more, sickness is no more. We will neither weep nor cry anymore, no more pain and suffering, and we will rejoice and be glad because we are gonna be marrying the one in whom our soul loves church, we're going to rejoice because we're going to be in the presence of Christ. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. I want you to see fourthly that the church will be ready. We will be ready. Chapter 19, verse 7, it says, his bride has prepared herself. The church of Jesus Christ that Jesus bought with his shed blood, she has, verse 7, prepared herself for her groom, Now there's three parts to the Jewish wedding, and I've put this in your notes. The first part is the formal betrothal. It's kind of like our engagement here. Often this is arranged by the parent, sometimes when the boy and the girl are young. Betrothal is a legally binding relationship. They do not live together, but they must remain sexually pure. If anyone compromises, it's considered adultery, and the relationship can be broken by divorce. We see an example of this with Mary and Joseph. When they were betrothed to one another before Jesus was born, Mary got pregnant. This is what made her pregnancy all the more scandalous was that she got pregnant during their engagement. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, Matthew chapter 1, and told him to marry that girl because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, spiritually, you and I have been betrothed to King Jesus we have entered into a formal relationship that cannot be broken. The moment you believe the gospel, whether that was at vacation Bible school or sitting at your kitchen table or in your bedroom or in a field or in a church listening to a preacher, the moment you trusted in Christ, you were betrothed to Jesus. You entered into a permanent relationship with him. God the Father prepared and planned it from long before the foundations of the earth. God the Son, Jesus, secured it with his own blood, and the Holy Spirit keeps you until that great day. And this salvation that you possess is a betrothal that you and I have with Christ now. We're not married yet, but Revelation 19, and we will be soon. Well, after the betrothal period, is then it leads to where the groom escorts the bride to the wedding ceremony. On the wedding day, the the bride would get gussied up and she would make herself beautiful and prepare herself for the big day. The groom would leave his house come to his bride's house and escort her to the wedding ceremony. Jesus tells us about this in a parable in Matthew 25. He tells the parable of the 10 virgins. There are five who were wise and five who were foolish. The five who were wise, they made their lamps ready with oil. They were prepared for the groom to come at any moment. The five who were foolish were not prepared. Well, the groom was delayed in coming they all fell asleep. And while they were asleep, the groom comes and someone declares, the groom is here, make yourself ready. The five who were wise, they put the oil in their lamps and they were prepared. The five who were unwise, they were not ready. And they said, hey, give us some of your oil so that we can be ready too. And they said, there's not enough for both of us. Go get you some. Well, while the five were gone who were unwise, the five who were ready were taken with their groom and off taken to the wedding. That is a picture in which Jesus drives home the point. You don't know the day, you don't know the hour when Jesus is coming back, but you better be prepared. There's gonna come a moment in which Jesus returns and there is not a second chance. There is not that moment where you can run off and get yourself ready. When he comes, when the trumpet sounds, when he comes for his bride, that is when it will take place the point he drives home is be prepared. Westwood, let's be prepared for the return of Jesus. It's as if he is coming tomorrow. Let us make sure that we are ready for that day when he comes, our groom comes and takes us away to be wed with him forever. So after the betrothal, the groom escorts the bride to the wedding ceremony. And then thirdly, there is a wedding feast. Typically lasts about one week. Once the wedding is over, everyone goes to the groom's house for this wedding banquet. It's a celebration. It is a feast. Jesus performs his first miracle in John chapter 2 at the wedding at Cana, where he turns water into wine. We see this week-long celebration It's a huge party that takes place. Well, Revelation 99, we have been betrothed to Jesus. We will one day marry Jesus and we will feast with Jesus. Westwood, let's be ready for Jesus when he comes. Fifth and finally, I want you to see that the church will be radiant. Will be radiant. Look at verse eight. It says, she was given fine linen to wear. Bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Verse eight, Jesus gives a wedding gift to his bride. What is it? It's new clothes. The fine linen is bright and pure. The fine linen represents the righteous acts. It's the good works of God's people. Now these righteous works, they're outward evidence of the righteousness of Christ in us. You see, the righteousness of Christ on the inside will be seen on the outside. You see, when you meet Jesus, he not only changes you, he uses you. He gives you the desire for good works. He gives you the desire to serve others. He puts it within you to go out and be a blessing. Now you don't do these good works to be saved. You do these good works because you are saved. You have been rescued. Jesus has changed your heart and you are compelled to go display his righteousness through the good things that you do. We're fulfilling Philippians chapter two, verse 13, where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure we fulfill Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared in advance for us to go and do. There's a sense in which the good works that you and I do are a display of the ultimate good work that Jesus did for us at the cross. And because of the righteousness that is now Planted within us through faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit, we now go out and do the good works and we are displaying the beauty and the righteousness of Christ. You see, just as a bride is dressed beautifully on her wedding day, so too will the church be radiant for our King. But you know what I can't get over about this text? It's the stunning reality of Revelation 19. It's the king of kings who weds his former enemies. This is what makes the gospel so shocking. A king who loves his enemies. A king who lays his life down for rebels. A king who pursues sinners. A king whose love is so great, he tells us of a coming day when he will put a ring on our finger and he will say, I do forever. That's the love that Jesus has for you. That you and I, we were the rebels. We are the sinners. We are those who have been evil in our hearts and we have turned our hearts away from him. And yet our king and our groom has pursued us and he has loved us all the way to the point of going to a cross. And it is there that he has his blood shed for our sins. And through faith in Christ, his righteous blood covers all of our iniquities. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus not only forgives you of your sin and promises you eternal life, but your groom is the one who protects you from future wrath and judgment. This is what Jesus came to do through his death and his burial and his resurrection on the third day. There's coming a day in which he will return and those who trust in him, you will be saved on that last day and you will be wed to Christ forever. This is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in the gospel. Is He promises a day in which His bride, the church, will gather together, and He will wed us forever. So, in the meantime, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, let's lead this leads us to our impact point. And it's this: Let's invite everyone to the wedding. Verse nine. Then He said to me right blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb we are to invite people to the wedding we invite people through the gospel by calling upon people to trust in jesus question will you be there Has there been a point in time in your life in which you have personally trusted in Jesus, in which you've surrendered your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? You've turned from your sin and believed the gospel. If you have not this morning, trust in Christ, believe in him. Turn from your sin and trust in him by faith that he went to the cross for your sin. He gladly paid the price that you deserved. He was put in a tomb but did not stay dead. On the third day, he comes back to life and those who turn from their sin and trust in him, you will be saved from that day of wrath. The beauty of the gospel is that it's free and it's open to anybody and everybody. It's an invitation that Jesus extends out to you. You RSVP by saying yes to Jesus believing the gospel, banking your soul upon the work that he has done for you. And it's yours. It's a free gift. You don't work for the invitation. You don't earn the invitation. It's a free gift for anybody who says yes to Jesus. Now, for many of you in this room who have already RSVP'd, you've already said yes to the gospel, you've already trusted in Jesus, we have invitations to pass out. There are people in our life who are far from God who need Jesus. And so you and I, we get to be inviting people, passing out invitations to anybody and everybody to believe the gospel. You see, evangelism is simply passing out wedding invitations. We're inviting people to believe the gospel and you get to gather there. That's us, Revelation 19, we're gonna gather because we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. There are people in your life who do not know Jesus and God has strategically and intentionally placed you in their life to invite them to this day, to invite them to believe the gospel so that one day they too will join the church and be rallied together and we will wed our king and our groom. This is why we do what we do as a faith family. We, we gather all of our financial resources together because we're better together than we are apart. And we take these resources and we send them out to the nations and to our neighbors. We identify organizations that are preaching the gospel and making disciples and planting churches. And so you and I are a part of a global movement of seeing the gospel go farther and faster than we ever could individually. It's a beautiful work in which we are together for the gospel and we want to invite the entire world to come to Revelation 19. This is why every year we're sending teams to the nations, inviting people from those who have never heard to believe the gospel. We are walking arms with local and global organizations and serving our community, letting people know you can join in on this. It's open to anybody and everybody. Just believe the gospel, trust in him and follow him for the rest of your life. It's a free gift and it's an invitation for the nations and for our neighbors. This is why every week I am praying for you. I'm praying that each person at Westwood, that you would shine bright for Jesus. I'm praying that you would be quick to share the gospel, that Jesus would shine brightly through you when you're at work, when you're on the ball field, when you're at school when you're out in the community in your neighborhood, that you are quick to share the hope that you have in Christ, that we would shine brightly in a very dark world to make much of Christ and to point to his beauty and glory. You and I, this week, we get to be a part of passing out invitations and inviting people to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it's open for everybody who trusts in Jesus. So Westwood, Let's invite everybody to come to the wedding. It's free and it's open. The only requirement is you've gotta be a sinner. And guess what? All of us qualify. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners like us. And Jesus died for sinners like those out in the world. And he made a way that we too can join him and be restored back into a right relationship with him when we trust in his one and only son. This is God's divine design. A king and his people. A groom and his bride. Christ and the church. If you don't know Jesus, you're invited to come and to believe upon him. If you have believed the gospel, then let's go invite the nations and our neighbors to come and be a part of knowing Jesus and gathering with Jesus at that great and final wedding.